This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. We're going to be reading 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So I want you to imagine a uh, violinist stepping out onto the stage all by herself. And she begins to play a beautiful symphony. She begins to play the first chair violin part to a beautiful symphony. And it's complicated and it's hard. And she nails it. She's doing a masterful job of hitting the notes and playing this beautiful melody. But as we listen, we get this sense that it's noticeably incomplete. But then from the sides come the other parts of the orchestra and the violists come to add their alto voice to the soprano strings of the violin and the cellos come and the basses come and eventually the brass and the woodwinds come and join and what happens as more instruments get added to this symphony, the music just swells and grows and now the symphony comes alive in a way that was unimaginable with just one violinist. The lesson, yes, going alone can be beautiful, solos can be beautiful, but real magic happens when we do it together. Now, we're in a series called We Are the Church, so I'm sure your expectation for me now is to talk about how we in this room or this building or we in this church need one another, and is that true? Hopefully after this many weeks in We Are The Church series, you have come to believe that we need one another, and that's very, very true, and we do need one another. But that's actually not the focus of the message today, because I want to pull back even further than just our church. Do churches need one another? Do we need each other in the city Do we need to work together with other churches? And what would happen if we did? Now, I I felt this way for uh, most of my ministry life, that that we can actually get a lot accomplished when we work together. Uh, I was a part of a group of churches early, early on in my ministry, and the tagline of that group was, together we accomplish more. And I believe that very strongly, ended up on the board locally of that organization to help. Then we became part, according to I did, of the Harvest Bible Fellowship, where we're planting churches all over over the world, and that was exciting and fun to be a part of. Uh, That transitioned into being a part of the uh, Great Commission Collective. So this is not something super brand new, but, but, but we've kind of felt a passion and a need to really emphasize and to raise up this idea of partnership, local churches partnering together, because we really believe we can accomplish more for the work of Christ. 
So here's the big idea. If you'd write it down, I'm gonna prove it to you as we go along, but let's write this big idea down first. With aligned partnerships with other Bible churches, we can accomplish more for the glory of God. With aligned partnerships with other Bible churches, we can accomplish more for the glory of God. So if we're, and this is a big deal today. Today's a big deal. Here's why it's a big deal. We're actually going to add a sixth distinctive, another distinctive to our DNA. I hope you've seen by now how important these core values, these distinctives are. I mean, we talk about the mission all the time. Next Sunday, I'm preaching a message all about the mission. This whole We Are the Church series, the majority of that has been us preaching through our core values, our distinctives. Applicational preaching, passion to worship, fervent prayer, intentional discipleship, strategic outreach. These are the things that define who we are. And we as churches talk about them all, as a church, talk about them all the time. So to add another one is a massive, massive deal. And I'll explain why we do that. But here's the first question we have to answer. What does the Bible say? about churches working together? Is it even a biblical concept? Is God about this idea of churches working together? As we contemplate that, I want us to take a hard look at 2 Corinthians chapter eight. And we're gonna start out with this. We're gonna start off talking about the background of aligned partnership. I want you to see this text and understand the beautiful background that is here. Uh, You have probably heard messages from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I've preached messages on 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and normally the focus is we should give faithfully and joyfully to the Lord. In fact, this whole, hey, redemption, it's time for the offering, and then we all go, something like that. All that's coming from a verse from these passages that says, God loves a cheerful giver. But we always do it, preaching it as if the local church should give to, and that's true, you should. But look at the context of this passage. It's actually a little bit wider than just one local church. Let's take a look at the partnership. We're gonna focus in on this partnership as we consider what's going on here. So this is Paul. He's writing his second letter, actually probably his third, uh, but his, his second letter that we have written to the church at Corinth. And he is trying to encourage them to be faithful in something they promised to do. So right now, there is a massive need that's happening. Paul has gone around and he's planted several churches. We studied this in the book of Acts. He's planted churches all around the region. And and what's happening, and he has this heart and passion, particularly for the Gentile church. He says, Peter was sent to the Jews and he was sent to the Gentiles. But Paul has always had a heart for the Jews. Big heart for the Jews. In fact, when we get to Romans chapter nine, we're gonna hear Paul say, I would give up his, he he said he'd give his own salvation if the Israel could be saved. That's huge. It's a massive statement, but it shows his heart for the Christian or for the for the Jewish nation. Now, there were some who were Jews that converted into Christianity. And those in Jerusalem in particular were greatly persecuted. And they were in great need. In fact, this is Matthew Henry about that situation. He says this: the Christians at Jerusalem through war, famine, and persecution had become poor. Many of them had fallen into decay, and perhaps most of them were but poor when they first embraced Christianity. 
For Christ said, the poor receive the gospel. But now, though he was the apostle to the Gentiles, he had a fonder regard and kind concern for those among the Jews who were converted to the Christian faith. And though many of them had not so much affection for the Gentile converts as they ought to have had, yet the apostle would have the Gentiles be kind to them and stir them up to contribute liberally for their relief. So this is exactly what's happening here. He's talking about this offering for the Jerusalem believers. And we know that for sure because we see this in Romans 15. In Romans 15, Paul says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia. We just heard of the church of Macedonia in this text. And Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for those poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And it's just awesome. What we're seeing here are Gentile believers loving on Jewish believers, even though they weren't so much excited about them, yet here they are giving to them. And so this is the background of what's happening. And so Paul now is going back to the churches he planted and he's saying, let's partner together. Let's work together. Let's take up an offering to help them. In fact, let's see this. You see the partnership. Let's see the pattern. There is a pattern here that we see, not just here, but all throughout the New Testament. In fact, let your eyes fall on verse number 23 of this text, 2 Corinthians 8, 23. And here's what we see here. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. Now pause there for a second. Have you ever heard of Titus? So Titus is mentioned here in this epistle, 2 Corinthians. He's also mentioned in 2 Timothy in several places. And there's a holy epistle that Paul wrote to him inspired by the Holy Spirit called Titus. So who is Titus? Titus was a pastor of another church. He was a pastor of the church in Crete. 2 Timothy, who was Timothy? Timothy was? a pastor to the church in Ephesus. These are churches. And Paul says of these men, they're my fellow workers. They're, they are my partners. Oh, that pastors would talk about each other that way. In our day and age, this is my partner. This is my fellow worker. So you got this beautiful language going on there and you see this all throughout really Paul's epistles, right? He mentions Tychicus and he mentions Phoebe. He mentions lots of other saints Lots of other people that he considers, even though they're in multiple churches, he still considers them partners in the ministry. Um, but here, we particularly have uh, this note. Now, mind you, uh, very important to note here, these places and these pastors, these churches that he's mentioning aren't just any churches, they're the ones that he planted or the ones that really shared closely with his doctrine. In fact, this is Macedonia. Here's a picture. It talked about the Macedonian pictures. So this is the, the map of Macedonia particularly. And you'll see in this Macedonia, Macedonia area, there is Philippi. There is Thessalonica. You even have Berea. Now, Paul didn't plant Berea. But Bere the Bereans, the Bible says, remember what the Bible says about them? They searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. They had a love for the word of God. You know, all of these churches are, are coming together and they're partnering together. But what I want to show you in particular in verse 23 is how 
closely they were working together because there's some, a little hidden gem here that I want you to see. So here's verse 23 again. As for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And, and as for our brothers, now watch this, they are messengers of the churches. You see that phrase there? Messengers of the church? No, messengers of the churches. It's plural. That word messenger it's the word apostolon or apostolos. Sounds like what? Apostle. Now there's big A apostle, but there's also little A apostle. What apostle means is one who is officially sent. So there were 12 apostles, capital A apostles, that were officially sent by Jesus himself. But there were also little a apostles, ones who were officially sent. And this particular group of men, these brothers Paul is talking about, were sent by not a one particular church, but a multitude of churches. They were official apostles sent out from the churches. That means there had to be some organization. There had to be some putting things together and some presenting some men and the churches collectively deciding these are the men we want to send. I think you just said men's plural. You get the idea. These are the men we want to send. This is, this is uh, so a partnership was definitely, definitely occurring. So you see the pattern. The pattern in the New Testament is very much then churches working together. And here's the reality. These epistles that Paul wrote, they were written to be passed from church to church to church to church to church. But I want you to see this. This is awesome now. It was a great privilege to be a part of this partnership. In fact, go back to verse three and four of chapter eight, verses, chapter eight, verses three and four. Watch what it says here. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Watch the language here. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Please, we want to be a part of this. We want to join together. We're eager to be a part of this partnership, this working together to relieve the, the, the pain these guys are feeling. So hopefully you see this by now. Clearly, these churches were working together. It was very much what the New Testament churches did. They partnered together, and it was something that was for sure happening, and they counted it a privilege. So not only do you, I want you to notice the background of a line partnership, I also want you to see this. I also want you to see the beauty of a line partnership, the beauty of a line partnership. And I want you to see the language that's used right here in the text to describe this working together. So how, what did God think about churches partnering together and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul pins this. Look at verse number one again. Can I just go back through this text and to see this language? Here's 2 Corinthians 8.1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Isn't this awesome? So these churches are partnering and they're giving. And Paul looks at their gift and he says, you know what that is? That's the grace of God. That's what that is. Their partnership is an evidence of God's incredible grace. Man, we love grace around here. We talk about grace all the time. That love that God has for us, that even though we're poor and needy, yet God gives grace upon grace and loves us. In fact, the Old Testament word for grace is often translated steadfast love. And aren't you glad this morning that God loves you with a steadfast love? 
And here now Paul equates their gift, their partnering with the grace of God. It's a beautiful thing. More than that, though, take a look at verse number two. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So this partnership is done in an abundance of joy and a wealth of generosity, strong, beautiful language describing this partnership and how they felt about this partnership. Look at verse number six. We saw this already, but when you see this again in verse number six, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this, here it is, act of grace. It's an act, it's an action, but it's an act of grace. And now verse number eight, again, I can do this for quite a bit, but we're just gonna show you one more, verse number eight. I say this not uh, as a command, but to prove the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. Here's the deal. Paul is saying, you said you were going to do this offering. You said you were going to help. Now, don't just say that you love these people. Prove it. Prove an earnestness. And their partnership was proof of the love that they had. You see, church, you probably know, it's one thing to say you have love. It's something else entirely to show someone love. Last night, we had a a beautiful privilege of um, going over to Wayne and Beth Heffelfingers. They're just terrible people, aren't they? Have you met them? They're just rotten to the core. No, they're some of the sweetest people you ever meet. And they had us over and, and Wayne cooked up some spare ribs. Oh, they were good. Delicious spare ribs. Uh, but particularly special to me was the fact that uh, Beth made asparagus. And I love asparagus. And somehow she heard that I love asparagus. <laughs> And so she, just simple, she put some asparagus in a pot and she just uh, um, steamed it up and it was delicious. It was so good, but it was an act of love. Now, please don't give me a bunch of asparagus, uh, but know that it's like, it's one thing to say, hey, pastor, we love you, we love you, we love you. Another thing to say, come into our home. Let me prepare food for you. Let, let's eat together. And you know, that's just an evidence, an act of love. It's one thing to say it, it's something else entirely. What Paul is saying, you can say you love the saints all you want to, but prove it. And what he's saying is this gift, this partnership is proof of your love. Now, what's awesome about that, remember what Jesus said about all of that? By this will, this is John 13, 35. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Would you read this with me, please? Let's read it together. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we love each other, it puts on display that we're disciples of Christ, we're followers of Jesus. So there is beauty evidence just in the phrases and the words that are used here. But I also want to just focus on this a little bit. Let's think about the beauty of the outcome of this partnership. And there were three outcomes in this text that I want you to see. Three things that just made this gift. So obviously the language that God is inspiring to be used is beautiful language, flowery language about how wonderful it was these churches were partnering. But here's some other outcomes to consider. Uh, one is this, uh, it brought relief to the saints. It brought relief to the saints. 
Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in need, but boy, when you're in need and someone comes and loves you and meets that need, it is such a wonderful, beautiful thing. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had been saving for um, taxes and for vacation. Now, um, we had said uh, for many, many years now, uh, Courtney and I, uh, when the kids move out, right? When the kids, you had this kind of talk, when the kids move out, here's what we're gonna do when the kids move out. And we had said several times, when the kids move out, and this is my dream, don't mock my dream, you have your dream. Uh, Our dream was, we're gonna go to Eddie Bauer and we're gonna just shop and we're gonna buy all the beautiful expensive flannels and the nice pants and whatever else. So our dream was, we're gonna go to Eddie Bauer and we're gonna enjoy that. Well, one thing I fail to realize is that with, when the kids leave your home, the tax break also leaves with them. <laughs> and that caught up to us uh, several years back where all of a sudden now we were prepared and then also we, we you know, didn't really fully understand that some of the uh, earlier tax breaks that uh, Bush had put on were coming off that year. And so when we went to get our taxes done, we were a little shocked at that number that we needed to pay for taxes. And so we had saved the money for taxes and for vacation. And what happened was our vacation money had to go to Uncle Sam, not to Eddie Bauer, not to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, but to the government. Well, at least I know they'll spend it on good causes. So um, our small group got wind of that, that we had to take our um, vacation money and spend it on taxes. And Without us knowing about it, they contacted each other and they, they gathered up and at a small group one night, they came and they had it all in cash, which is a little sketchy, but they had it all in cash. <laughs> <laughs> and they handed us enough that we could go on our vacation. And I don't know if you've ever been a recipient of that kind of a gift, but it's, it's like part of you wants to say, no, 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 we can't take that, we can't take that. And your pride wants to kind of, I'm, I'm, you know, too good to receive, you know, we're fine, you know but you just receive it out of love and say they sacrificed out of love. They wanted to love us and they loved us that way. And it was a, it was a big deal. Now, listen, that's vacation. These saints in Jerusalem probably had been cut off from income. Could you imagine being a Jew and these guys all knew about Jesus. He was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem. So they all knew about who Jesus was. Now all of a sudden, you're joining that guy? No, he's against Judaism. And so they were cut off from their families. They were probably, if they were business owners, they were cut off from business and they were in dire, dire, dire need. And so now Paul comes and he brings this partnership, these churches collecting together and teaming together. And this gift was given. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. It brought relief to the saints. Also this, it magnified the gospel. It's really interesting to see the language in this text. I'm going to show you in a a moment another place, but in several places here, he uses gospel language, grace and love. All these things were things that Paul would use to describe the gospel. And you think about the gospel, we were poor and needy. We were without hope. But God, in the riches of his goodness and grace, poured out forgiveness and mercy and grace to us. And so this gift to the saints for all the churches gathered together and it just magnified the gospel. In fact, this is what Sam Storm said about their gift. The Macedonians gave themselves to the Lord in this ministry, verse five, if they did, 
it is because God had first given them grace, verse number one. There was grace given to them, and because of that grace, they poured that gospel grace onto others and magnified the gospel. And then uh, the third outcome is it glorified God. It glorified God. And for this, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 9. We're actually gonna go up to uh, verse number nine, or chapter nine for a second, 1 Corinthians 9. And look at verse number 11, 1 Corinthians 9, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 9, 11, 2 Corinthians 9, 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us all will produce thanksgiving to God. For this ministry of, um, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. There's another gospel allusion, very plainly made. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Isn't that awesome? They're gonna say, thank you, God. We were in need and you showed up. He used these churches to show up and to care for our need and God will just be glorified. To, alone, we can bring God glory. Together, we can do more. There's a beautiful picture there of what happens when churches partner together. So, Maybe you're saying, all right, well, that's just one passage in the Bible. You know, it doesn't mean that it's something we should do now. Like that was just one time they did it. So, well, let me, let me show you a few other things, you skeptic. Let me show you a couple other places in the Bible where you see kind of similar things. I'm gonna put two passages together real quick. I'm gonna do Ephesians chapter three, going into chapter four, and then I'm gonna flip over to John 17. And I want you to see the language that's used here to help us understand what God wants for his church today. So here is Ephesians chapter three, to him be glory, it says where? In the church, okay? So the context is the church, and in Christ Jesus with all generations forever and ever, amen. I therefore, because God's gonna bring himself glory in the church, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which, which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and a bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You get the idea. One, 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 one. Well, pastor, it's to the church in Ephesus. He wanted them to be one true. But when you take that and you lay it aside a very similar passage that Jesus prayed, you get a wider view. So here is John chapter 17. Now, this is Jesus praying for you. So it makes this text so amazing. It's Jesus praying in the garden and he's praying specifically for you. Here's how I can say that. Here's John 17, verse 20, where he says this, I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, 
So I was led to Christ by a gentleman by the name of Brian Peters. Brian Peters was led to Christ by, I don't know, somebody who was led to Christ by somebody, who was led to Christ by somebody. You get the idea? And I could draw that lineage all the way back to one of the disciples. And so this is Jesus now saying, I'm praying for my disciples, yes, but I'm praying for all those who will believe through their word, and that's you and me. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's us. This is us, this is us. And Jesus prays, and what does Jesus pray for? So now here's the whole text. This is uh, 17, 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Love that. Now, this is not, hey, let's dumb down our doctrine so that we can get along with other churches, by the way. It's not that at all. In fact, the context of John 17, a few verses before, is this verse, John 17, 17. Sanctify them by their truth. Would you read these last four words with me? Your word is truth. So these are people who are sanctified by the word of God. They're in agreement, in alignment with the truth of Jesus Christ in the word of God. That's what's happened. But what does God want with those who believe that? Well, here's John 17 again. And I've just underlined every time one comes up because God wants us to be one. Now, I'm not talking about one big Fort Wayne church. There are reasons why there are local gatherings, but certainly with those who would have a doctrine like ours and a mission like ours and a passion like ours, shouldn't we seek to be more one? And how are we doing with that? We don't do very well at it. There are a lot of reasons why we don't. One is that we'd rather see them as our competitors than our co-laborers. Especially true of pastors. If I talk them up, maybe someone will go over there instead of coming here. Or I gotta trash other churches so that people think my church is better. We have this mentality that is, is dangerous and I think is keeping us from accomplishing more for the work of Christ. Now, I'm gonna say several times today, nothing changes in our doctrine. We believe what we believe for a reason. I know many of you have left other churches because of the stance we have taken on the word of God and the boldness in which we preach the word of God. That's never going to change. As long as I can help it, that will never change. We are who we are. In fact, it might help you to understand a little bit why we're doing this. It's a big deal to add a distinctive. So why are you doing it? And what's the history of all this? Let me just kind of go back a little bit and tell you how all this came to be. So in February, we had our annual elders retreat. We do it every year. That's what annual means. And uh, we... 
we met together and we were, uh, we typically come in and I have a lot of ideas and vision. Uh, I just, how God has wired me, I just tend to look and see, we can do this and we can do this and we can do this and we can take that hill and we can do that. And very typically in an elders meeting, I always kind of understand that part of uh, their job is to say, uh, let's pull it back a little bit. Let's pull it back and just grab a few of these things and see what God will do. So that's typically it. But I can admit this year, both Adam and I were like, there's a whole lot of things we can do, but what is it that God wants us to do? And so we're just kind of praying and thinking through that. And what happened was we began to just evaluate our ministry. And we used a tool called SOAR, which is Strengths, Opportunities, Aspirations, and Results. It's a, it's a great little tool to use. And so you start out by saying, okay, how is our church strong? We get thinking about what God has done and the health of our church. And we were greatly encouraged, man, greatly encouraged by what God is doing through our ministry. And uh, we've heard all throughout the last couple of years, things like, I've never grown like I've grown here at Redemption. And, you know, you heard Ben's testimony. That's just so, so encouraging. And, you know, God's doing that in the lives of a lot of people. And we're hearing these things going on. And we're just really encouraged by what God's done here. And, and it, kind of the question began to be, okay, how can we do this other places? Now, if you think, well, that's kind of a little arrogant, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if it is. Um, I, I kind of feel like Forrest Gump. Remember this in Forrest Gump? No, maybe some of you are too young to remember who Forrest Gump is, but uh, for this movie, if you remember Forrest Gump gets into the army and, and he just kind of fits the army really well and they're disassembling their weapons and all of a sudden he goes, Dun drill sergeant! And drill sergeant says, go! Why did you disassemble the weapon so quickly, Gump? Gump says, because you told me to, Jill Sargent. <laughs> and just kinda, I kind of feel that way about what we do here. Why do we preach the word of God verse by verse? Because we're so smart and we figured it out. No, God said, preach the word. 2 Timothy chapter four. Why do we worship the way we worship? Because we figured out some secret thing that only we have. No, no, no. Because God said to worship in spirit and in truth. And so we're just like, well, what you told us to do, God, so I guess we'll do that. Why do we put so much emphasis on ministering to the lives of people in um, intentional discipleship? Because he said, as you were going, make disciples. So we're just trying to do what God told us to do. And God's just blessing us in that. And it's been encouraging to see. So the elders and I began talking about, okay, how do we see the other places? Because what we do here. We want to do there. We want to do it everywhere. Would you say that with me, please? What we do here, we want to do there. We want to do it everywhere. Here, there, everywhere. And what I mean by that is discipleship for the glory of God through the power of the gospel. Our mission. We want to do it here. We want to keep doing it here. But maybe God would have us do it other places. So as we began talking about this as elders, one of the aspirations that came up is, well, maybe we should begin to train church planters. Maybe we should begin to find churches that need strengthening and strengthen these other churches. And very important to us now, this is where you come in. How do we get our entire church involved? Not just the pastors and the staff, but everybody involved in planting churches and strengthening other churches and all of that. And this idea of we might be able to become a church planting hub now, that's never something I aspire to, but that's a big task. That's a big vision that's going to take a long time to accomplish. And that's something that we could not do it on our own. 
we need the help of other churches that share our biblical passions to be able to invest in others and see more churches planted in our city. I think our city needs more churches that have the same passions that we do. Can I get a witness? He doesn't seem too enthusiastic about that. Hopefully that'll grow as we go along. Uh, But I think our city needs more. I think our country needs more. I think the world needs more. And we can be a part of that. So, okay, if you're talking about that massive of a project, uh, we can't just let that fall off the table. Have you ever done this? You ever had a really good idea? You do this every year. I'm going to lose this many pounds this year. Yeah, that probably doesn't happen. You're way more excited about that in January than you are in July, right? Probably. So like, how do we like not let things fall off? Well, we got to put it into our DNA. This has got to become who we are and what we do. And we know around here that when it becomes a distinctive, when it becomes part of our DNA, it's something we focus on a lot and talk about a lot. So all that being said, this is why we are establishing today a new distinctive, a new core value, and it's this, aligned partnership, aligned partnership. Investing shared biblical passions in Christ's church, Big C Church, not just redemption, but the church as a whole, we wanna invest our shared biblical passions. This is people that align with us. This is not us weakening our doctrine or watering down or changing anything about what we're doing. This is now saying, how can what we do here, how can we do it there, how can we do it everywhere? Align partnership. And so now you'll see uh, this is um, the, all the distinctives together. Now that there's six, it just really lines out really pretty. Now, I need to kind of answer some maybe questions that are on the tip of your brain a little bit right now. So what does this exactly mean? Like when you say partnership, well, what are we gonna be doing and with who? And I'll say that all depends and uh, there are levels of partnership that need different levels of agreement. Can I say that again? There are levels of partnership that need different levels of agreement. We were just in Lumuru, Kenya, and we, I, I spoke at a gathering of pastors from Karubu County in Lumuru. At this gathering, there was a wide span of theology. There were female pastors in the room. We don't ordain women at redemption. There were female pastors in the room. There were a lot of charismatic pastors in the room, those who wouldn't agree with our view on on tongues and all of that, and they were in the room. Now, what was happening there is, well, we were leading a Bible conference. If you want to come and sit and listen to us talk, come on. I'll let anybody come and, and listen to me talk. Whoever would want to do that. A little sick in the head, but if you would want to come in here, then come on and do that. And so we were leading that and we can do that. Now, I could not walk away and plant a church with every one of those people. We don't share enough in our biblical passions. Our doctrine isn't aligned enough to plant churches. Some maybe, but there's a wide range that we couldn't. But in that particular thing where I was doing the teaching, I was fine with whoever wanted to come. I'll work in a soup kitchen and love the poor with a wide range of pastors and churches and all of that. And we'll love the poor together. But when it comes to discipling them, that's gonna really narrow down the partnerships that we would have. And so and we're working on all the rubrics and all the whatevers and things, tests to figure out all of this, but your elders are committed to these passions for these reasons, and we want to see that happening more and more 
and partnerships happening around our city more and more because we believe firmly that together we uh, can accomplish more. And I want to end by looking at verse number five of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 again, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 5. Because I think this is, this is the crux of it. This is what we're asking God to do. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Lord comes first. His doctrine, his word, his plans, his passions, he comes first. But then we also want to give ourselves to the greater work of God and see what God will do, even with churches in our city. Are we the only ones in our city that preach the word of God exegetically, that love God, passion? I mean, the things that we share, we're not the only ones. So let's find others that agree and let's work together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for this opportunity that I believe you've put on our heart and we see it so clearly as a passion of yours in the word. So God, I pray that you would help us to carefully but yet passionately pursue what it's like to, to, to team together to do more for your glory. I believe it'll magnify the gospel. I believe it'll bring you glory. And that's all we want. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.